What I learned really quickly is I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to do it and I failed. I borrowed $100,000. I invested it with other people and I used the rest to try to build my business. I lost all of that money and I felt that I had ruined my life. Choose not to live in a world of filters. Realize your mistakes. Set the foundation for your success. Get some wins. Knucklehead Podcast. Welcome to another edition of Knucklehead Podcast. You got with you the Knucklehead Steven. And uh, we're going to switch things up for today's episode. One, because we we usually have folks who, who own their own business, who've ran their own enterprises for quite some time. But every so often, about every 10 to 15 episodes or so, what I love to do is I love to highlight stories like our guest today. And I came across our guest's background on LinkedIn. And uh, for those of you who are in today's COVID-19 world, you're working from home. If you're in the sales and business development game, if you're in media, if you're in production work, you spend a significant amount of your time in front of your screen, right? And a large percentage of your interaction with other folks consists of doing some background work on people. So you want to you get educated on what their background is. You want to get educated about what their product or software is. And I, I can't tell you how happy I am for you to hear this story of, of somebody who's, who's been with one company for I want I'm going to I'm going to butcher his background for the better part of a decade. And when you look at the amount of times that he's been promoted. If you look at the grit and determination that's that's required in corporate America in today's workaday world, you're going to be pleasantly surprised. There's a term that uh, folks use called an entrepreneur, so somebody who runs their own business working on behalf of a company and I I'm, I'm excited for our guest uh, to shed some light on some of the characteristics that he was able to develop, how failure, how, you know, how some of the times that he stubbed his own nose or, or got smacked in the mouth a little bit actually helped make him better at what he did. So without further ado, Mr. Rusty Jensen, welcome to the show, buddy. How are you? I'm doing great, Stephen. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on here. Yeah, of course. Of course. Well, Rusty, just to, just for some some context here, a lot of the folks that listen to Knucklehead Podcast, they, you know, they ran their own business before, or they're just leaving the military and they're they're setting up their own enterprise. And so they're already working on behalf of a corporation, but you know, maybe their side hustle is putting together some frameworks and some processes to to create an e-commerce business. Or one of our listeners, he actually runs a production company down in Austin and he supports uh, media production out of a remote office at his home. You know, so a lot of folks uh, that are listening they've been able to essentially achieve some success, right? And some are already achieved success and are helping bring other folks up. So for those of you who are listening, Rusty's background, I mean, he's been working with one particular company for quite some time, but that's not all your story. You've got a, a little bit more icing on the cake, so to speak. There's some other fodder that makes your, your story a little bit more interesting. And I don't want to give the secret away. I'm going to let you kind of do that. But tell these folks a little bit about what your role is now, what you do, what your company does, and, and then start back from the beginning on how we kind of connected a little bit last week, if that's all right with you. Yeah, you bet. So just to give you some perspective on what I do now. So my role now is I'm a VP of revenue generation at Nice and Contact. And I've been in this position for the last year and a half or so. Um, and I have been at Nice for 10 years. So in terms of a decade, we've been there, we've been there for 10 years. And I started on the ground level at Nice and Contact. I was a sales developer. I was prospecting, cold calling day in and day out. And as a company, what we do is we actually provide the systems that run contact centers. So if you're calling T-Mobile for customer service, you're calling different companies to find out what's going on with your bill, we run and create all the infrastructure necessary to make that happen. So routing of calls, scheduling of agents, QA and training, as well as some feedback and reporting and automation tools that help contact centers function. That's what we do. 
So I knew nothing about this business before I came. And it's because I, I started as an entrepreneur when I was 22 years old. I was very ambitious as a young guy, Stephen. I wanted to be an entrepreneur from the time I was little. I mean, I was selling, I was out there doing weeds and, and I was actually going to neighbors and saying, hey, can I pull your weeds for 25 cents? And I was selling my toys to other kids. And I was, I was very entrepreneurial when I was growing up. And I wanted to own my own business and I wanted to be my own boss and build a company. And I really never understood how difficult that was, especially as someone who's 20, 21 years old, trying to build a company, trying to get out there, trying to put their name out. It's a very difficult thing to do. And I developed a tremendous amount of respect for those that are entrepreneurs. It is one of the hardest things you can do. You know, I, I tell people trying to be an entrepreneur and jumping into business when you don't have a ton of experience is like, it's like going into the NFL and playing against a bunch of pro players without pads. That's what it's like. And, and it's tough. But what I can tell you is that the lessons I learned in trying to build businesses early on is actually what gave me the grit and the skills necessary to make myself successful in my current company. Two things that I heard there as you were talking. One, the dream of being an entrepreneur started at a very young age, right? And so there's a lot of folks who lose sight, especially in today's world where it could be perceived that success is everywhere. All you have to do is jump on social media or spend some time working for a uh, you know, in a business development role where you're making a hundred dials a day and you're getting told no 70% of the time for the folks that you actually get on the telephone. So in that, in that instance, what you're, what you're talking about is you can become real disenfranchised or discouraged pretty quickly working for a company. If your dream was to be an entrepreneur, however, that's not the impression that I get from you. So that was the first takeaway. The second takeaway that I wanted to ask you in the form of a question was when you use the analogy of playing with professional athletes without pads, that it hurts. Like all people have to do is they have to put themselves in that situation and think, okay, that's going to hurt. Well, that means that there was some pain that was involved for some of the learning lessons along the way. And maybe it was a, a sales call gone wrong, or maybe it was an entire year worth of contracts being canceled because the economy forced those companies' hands to have to cancel your products or services. There's been some pain that you've experienced along the way that, that helped set this precedence of you wanting to work through it or drive through it. And that's common amongst all entrepreneurs or high achievers. But how did you develop that? How did you develop that mental fortitude to drive through it when resistance started to meet you? Let me kind of give you a background and experience so I can answer that question. Because when I started as an entrepreneur, I thought that I was smarter than the average guy. I thought I could go out there. I could work harder than anybody else. Um, I mean, I developed a work ethic young where as long as I'm awake, I can work. And so I thought, hey, if I can go out there, I can out hustle people. I can beat them. I can do well. And what I started to learn is I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know how to build a big, successful business. I didn't understand how to manage cash flow. And I was looking for any possible shortcut that I could to become successful. So as I built my business, I also looked for opportunities to create leverage, to borrow money, to be able to invest money in different areas, to be able to try to build and become dynamic. And what I didn't understand was risk. So I could work as hard as I wanted all day, and I could be as smart as I thought I was, but I didn't understand risk. So when I borrowed up to $100,000, and I took some of it and I invested it with other people, and I used the rest to try to build my business, what I learned really quickly is I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to do it, and I failed. I lost all of that money. Yeah, $100,000 is no, $10,000 is a lot of money. I mean, when you, you hear Grant Cardone, and you hear entrepreneurs, Mark Cuban, talking about dollars and cents. There's this kind of emotional detachment 
to truly what the impact of that amount of money is. We almost get numb to the amount of money when you hear when you're bombarded with messages about spending, especially when you're talking about, you know, national or fiscal budgets, companies, it, it could be a rounding area for some companies, but a hundred thousand dollars at 22 years old. And were you married? And did you have a family at the time? I, I don't remember. So uh, right, right as I did that, I had just gotten married. So I'd been married for six months. Oh my gosh. Have you ever asked yourself why you haven't started a podcast? Well, I already know the reason. So do you. You don't feel like you're tech savvy. You don't feel like you got your message wired tight. And quite frankly, it's just, it's all this mystification going on. Quite frankly, uh, our process helps to demystify that. We're push button for podcasts. We're knucklehead. Why knucklehead? Well, we lead with the fact that you don't know what you're doing. We do. We've been there. We've actually been in your shoes. We take your spoken voice. We literally give a human voice to your website. You want to bring dead leads to life? Well, then you need to talk to Knucklehead. Essentially, what we're going to do is we're going to take you through our process and we're going to help take your human voice and increase the process for you going from dead leads to life. How do I how do I do that? Well, you essentially just take your human voice, put it in a directory and let people consume more of you. Give your audience the ability to Netflix on you. They want to binge watch you. They want to binge listen. Give them the ability to take your voice along on that commute with them. So. You can get in touch with us, Steven at Knucklehead Podcasts, or if you've got a really cool story, stories at Knucklehead Podcasts. You can find us on LinkedIn and on Facebook at Knucklehead Promotions, LLC. And get in touch with us. Don't be a beta about the process. Don't let the fact that you don't know prevent you from getting some wins. So don't be a beta, get some wins and contact us today. See ya. So I, I got to ask you, putting yourself back. So our listeners, for those of you who are listening, think about this for a second. So how upset are you if somebody, if you loan somebody a hundred bucks and they don't pay you back? Or if you hire somebody, think about this from an entrepreneur and you train somebody for a year and they decide to leave to go to one of your competitors, right? And you have all that time invested and all those resources invested in somebody. What is that visceral, just that gut reaction that, that you feel? I, I know that it hurts to hear you say that. Can you describe, you know, what it was like to have conversations with your wife, maybe two or three weeks after that money was lost? You know, my wife was really supportive, which I appreciated. But what I can tell you is what I felt inside, Stephen, I felt that I had ruined my life, potentially. I had set myself up in a situation where I had more debt than most baby boomers had at the time. I was in a situation where I felt like you live one time and I failed at it. I put myself in, a, in an overwhelming situation that would be extraordinarily difficult to climb out of. It was very difficult. And luckily, my wife was supportive and she believed in me. She said, you know what? You can, you can do it. You can take care of it. You can, you can get out of this. And that was, that was comforting, but it, but it didn't take that feeling that I put my family, my future family in jeopardy because I was acting irresponsibly and didn't know it. Well, you used a word to describe it called risk a little bit earlier. What did it teach you about risk? Did it teach you to, to take less? Did it teach you to view it differently? Did it teach you to seek counsel before you decided to put yourself out there? What was it about risk that, uh, that you gleaned from that experience? I mean, it taught me that I need to manage risk effectively, that I need to really understand that bad things can happen, that I'm not invincible, and that if I'm going to take any kind of new strategy or new execution um, plan that I need to do it responsibly and test it and ensure that it's going to work before I put a lot of money out there and a lot of risk that could potentially put myself and my business in jeopardy. Rusty, I, I admire your, your courage for sharing that story, first of all, but then going through that lesson and being able to talk to your wife and have 
people give you input and insight uh, on how you could recover from it. Describe to us what your thought process was, you know, maybe a year removed from it, and you're not necessarily making the progress towards paying it back or paying it off the way that you wanted to. Describe for us just real quick about how you're going to approach it, because we had a conversation before and you had described to me kind of this this uh, decision making analysis that you that you came up with. And I, I was fascinated by your answer. Yeah, so it really comes on two fronts, right? And the first is first understanding how money works from a personal finance standpoint and from a business standpoint. So the first thing that I had to do was to seek out people who understood it. So I had a friend that was a CEO of a company called Orson Gigi. His name was Perry Gigi. And he was a self-made millionaire. He's an entrepreneur and helped build that business. And he knew how money worked and how it functioned. Um, I also spent time listening to people like Dave Ramsey on the personal front to understand how money really works. And the fact that I had to come to a, a realization of is that there are no shortcuts. There's no such thing as fast and easy money that you have to fight through it and you have to turn in and you have to put in the work necessary to get the result. There is no such thing as a, as a shortcut. And by, by working through that and talking to these people, I learned a couple of things which is number one, from a personal standpoint, I had to be able to generate an income. I can't live off of borrowings. I can't create a, a, a business and expect that I can just go infinitely without and, and just live off of funding, okay? That puts myself and other people at risk. So that was number one. And then number two, I had to see how can I use these lessons that I'm learning to be able to maximize the probability of my success. So you take the assessment of risk, which is if I go and I build a business, there's this phrase is when you're an entrepreneur, you put 10 years into it, 10 years of hard work, blood, sweat, and tears and risk, and suddenly you're an overnight success. And our society likes to treat successful entrepreneurs as lucky. But, but really, you put your whole world at risk for 10 years, and then you become an overnight success. And I thought, okay, so I could take that path, or I can take that energy, and I can take that passion and I can apply it into another business and treat it as if it's my own. So what I thought was, look, if I go to a small cap growth company, a tech company, and I go and I put my entrepreneurial effort and skills into that company for 10 years, I can minimize my risk because I won't, I won't maximize my upside. So I won't make you know, $200 million, right? Because we all have that, that dream. Um, but I can actually make an income as I go. I can use that income responsibly to pay off debt and build wealth. And if I put the same kind of energy, effort, and passion, and the same kind of, of work ethic that it would take to build a business, if I put it into this small cap growth company, then I'll actually be able to become an executive, get equity, and make millions of dollars that way. That was, that was the goal. So I said, okay, I can mitigate risk and I can build. And then my, my mentor basically said, okay, and build a business on the side. So if you build a business on the side, you build it up and sell it, just make sure you take no money out of that business and you can keep the, entrepreneur, the entrepreneurial spirit going. You can kind of satisfy that hunger. And so that was actually the approach I took. So I sought out in contact, which was acquired by Nice. Um, I sought that company out. And at the time, it was about a $30 million software company um, and about $70 million in total revenue. And it was a, a prime situation for me to be able to invest and to help it to, to grow. So in that, in that instance, what I heard there is you could walk and chew gum at the same time, right? And we, we, make, we keep things really 
simple here, uh, just because, you know, I'm a knucklehead. I'm a, I'm a knuckle dragon Marine, right? I'm, I've built several businesses myself. I have, have phenomenal, phenomenal folks that have, that have come on here and shared their story about going on to shark tank or selling after 50, you know, they've gotten to the 50 units in the franchise and they sold the entire franchise off to another group of investors. And so my lesson that I'm learning here from, from you, Rusty is, First of all, you have to be able to analyze a marketplace to be able to identify what a small cap growth company is, right? First of all, that that skill set, the skills that you developed early part of your career, you were backed into a corner. Granted, some of your own decisions uh, cause you to be backed into a corner. But when you were backed into a corner, there's two reactions that a human has. They can either fight or flight. But in the process of fighting to get back, fighting for your future, so to speak, because you, were, you felt like you had let your family down, you started to develop the skill set of perspective and vision and identifying opportunities the same way that a true entrepreneur would, right? We had somebody a couple shows ago. His name is uh, Heath Hill. He's the CEO of an experiential marketing business down in Dallas, Texas, one of the largest next to Freeman's in the DFW Metroplex, really nationwide if you want to get specific with it. But he talked about how a true entrepreneur does not see fear whenever they see an opportunity. What they see is they truly just see it as opportunity, right? And you're using terms like risk mitigation and you're identifying risk and you're connecting with the emotions of, of being let down. I'm curious how many companies did you talk with or how did you develop this perspective of being able to identify truly what a small cap growth company was? And was that just through some conversations with your mentor or, and there's another question, how many people did you talk to, to find the right mentor? That's a good question. So I had a lot of conversations with a lot of different people to understand the market and understand how money and how things function. So I had a, a benefit. So the business that I tried to build, I tried to build a consulting business where I actually helped entrepreneurs get funding. So I'd actually help them write business plans, um, analyze the, the financial aspects of what was happening in their company. And I was just learning, I was like literally using on the job what I was learning in my college classes the day before, right? And I was building business plans and helping them structure the financials and build a good corporate identity and position themselves for funding for SBA loans and things of that nature. So what was interesting is that I spent a lot of time looking at different businesses, different business models, and getting perspective from people who are investing money in companies. I was getting perspective from them in terms of what works and what doesn't. So that actually helped me a lot to learn and understand what kind of markets I wanted to target. So when I was talking to you know some different mentors and different people, they would say, look, some of the market that's really starting to move is tech. So I started looking at tech. I looked at the stability of it. So in, in software, how stable is that type of business? How, how stable are software companies? Well, they're, they're an absolute necessity for any business. Um, so that's a good thing. Um, but then I had to look at the financial aspect. So I, got, I became very financially literate very quickly in terms of personal finance and analyzing stocks and investment as well. So when I go and I look at a company like in contact, I was able to kind of analyze, you know, what is, what is their debt load? What is their, is their general profitability? What is their potential investment horizon, et cetera? What's their cash flow burn rate? I was trying to understand all this and I was going as a sales developer. And when, when I went to go into the, the company and I went to multiple companies, um, I got an offer for the job at Nice and Contact over the phone. He said, you know what? I've never met you, but you seem like you know what you're doing. I'm going to bring you in. I told him no. I said, no, I want to come and I want to meet the leaders. 
I want to talk to your executive. I want to know who you are. And this guy's like, what are you talking about? This is an entry level position. And I told him, I want to be an executive in your company. <laughs> and he thought I was crazy, but he, he, he let me come and meet him. His name is John Notwell. Let me meet him, talk to him, talk to the executive team and meet the kind of people I'd potentially work with. And I made that decision as if it, I would have put another you know, $10,000 of my money into that company. That's how I made that decision. I'm going to invest 10 years. I better, I better pick the right company. Um, so that's what I, that's what I did. I thought I was crazy at the time. Well, I mean, it, it is, it is when you, when you think about the process, right? It, it is crazy when you think about somebody who's just going into a company in an entry level position, talking to the executives as if they're going to be one of those. However, if you look at successful folks and you look at how beginning with the end in mind, the value of that particular approach to the time that you're going to invest in something, it's honestly the mistake and the failure that a lot of folks uh, run into is they plan more for a vacation than they do maybe their own financial future, right? Or they, they plan for, um, you know, what they're going to do this weekend versus the conversations that they're going to have with the executives at the company that they're working for, right? That they don't, they look at risk as, as, as only having one source of income. You know, obviously they can own that one source of income if you're the entrepreneur, or you can own the work if you work for a business and still think like an entrepreneur and get exponential results, very similar to what you've been able to achieve for yourself, Rusty, because this, this is not the first role that you've had there. You know, how many, I don't want to butcher it. You tell me how many roles have you had and what was the iteration and learning process like as you change from one role to another there at that company? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, so I, I did start in the ground level as a sales developer. So I was making 40 K a year and I was making cold calls every day. And I went in that role and I approached it as if like it was my own business, right? And it was actually a lot easier money than I'd ever made <laughs> up to that point. I was like, wow, this is fantastic. But I took it as I'm just going to start innovating and learning. When we got in that position, we didn't have a really strong leadership structure. So I just took the team and said, all right, guys, let's figure this out. Let's build all the processes. Let's build the structures. And I became a leader of the people on the team just by helping and participating which led to me getting promoted to the next position in about nine months to be an account executive to sell. I took the same kind of approach. But before I got promoted, and each time I got promoted, I would always learn the role ahead of time before I left the role I was in, right? Learn and understand that role. So I became an account executive and sold, and then I ran the West region for a mid-market sales team. And then I ran the West and sales development. So my, my current mentor, his name's Bill Robinson, he gave me an opportunity. So he's like, you seem like a sharp guy. You seem like you have a lot of work ethic. Let's see what you can do. So he tested me. He's like, let me see what, let's see what you can do. You want to be an executive? I'm going to put you over an independent quota, a team, and I want you to run our sales development organization at the same time. And I took that as, as a challenge. So I put in my 80 hours a week. I put an extraordinary amount of effort in succeeding. I was able to double the output of our, of our region hit 250% of my number, and then I'm able to hit the sales development, hit the largest number they've ever hit, which is a fantastic test. And it was almost like my mentor was pushing me and he challenged me. What can you do? I don't want to interrupt you here, but I do want to jump in. I think it's important because we'd ask the question of how many folks you talked with before your mentors. Knucklehead podcast, this is not you did it perfectly the first time podcast. Those numbers wouldn't have been hit had you not been able to find somebody who could see a little bit of themselves in you. Would you agree or disagree with that? Absolutely agree. I'm just saying in, in a corporate environment and a lot of, in the world in general, you have to have people that believe in you, that help you to succeed. I wasn't qualified 
to do that. The performance and the, and the results of that work would argue that you were qualified. You had started to say that you weren't qualified for it. However, I wanted to disagree with you politely to say that Bill saw that you were capable of achieving those results if you could stay consistent. And the results kind of showed that you were capable of it, which I don't want to argue with you. But at the same time, I wanted to point that out. At least that's what I heard on my side, Rusty. You know, I think one of the hallmarks of a great leader, particularly in a, in a corporate environment, is to be able to look at people and, and see their potential and give them an opportunity to exercise it because it's a hard thing to do because it reflects on you if it doesn't work well. But an executive who can look at it and say and have the humility to look at somebody and say, you know, he's a young kid. He doesn't have the capabilities that I have, doesn't have the skills that I have, but he doesn't have to. He's got the potential and I'm going to give him a shot. I'm going to help him. And that that changed my entire trajectory at Nice and Contact. And I think that's a really important lesson to remember, especially as you bring on people and you hire people as a leader. It's hard to find people that, that you feel like can really, really perform, that you can really trust. And sometimes that's us just looking at our own self and our own skills and projecting that on other people instead of looking at their potential. And Bill took that risk for me and it, and it made a huge difference in my life. Well, I think it's, I think it's a good place to, to almost land uh, this particular podcast. One, just because I think even some of the competitors that, that Nice and Contact bushes up against in the marketplace, and I understand as a sales leader, you know, your, your thought process is there's not a tremendous amount of competition because you, what you do is unique. And I think that that position is, is warranted in a lot of cases, but I'm interested educate our listeners here a little bit about, you know, what nice and contact does differently. And I think a, a lot of that could be proved by saying that the makeup of the company are folks like yourself, Rusty, maybe I'm off base and in, in insinuating that, but folks who think dynamically that way typically build dynamic companies. Yeah, Absolutely. And that's one thing that, that is very difficult to match. So you can match software features and capabilities. Get a couple of good developers, take a look at the product, open it up, see what it does and match it. But you can't match the grit. You can't match the skills of some of the people that you have in the company. That's where the real competition is. And, and there are people in our company that have built our company for success. People like Debbie Draper, people like Bill Robinson, our CEO, Paul Jarman. These are people who do not give up, who are focused on making it successful. And our industry is a very difficult industry to be successful in. There's a lot of complexity in the software, the very high barriers to entry. We only really have you know, three, four real competitors. Um, and every time people try, it's, it's a tough market to crack. And what you find underneath the surface is you, you, you find a lot of really aggressive, strong, smart people that are doing everything possible to make it successful and to forge. That a, a problem is just part of a day. It's not a, there's no insurmountable challenge that we have. And there are people who just fight through it. And the relationships that we have are deep because of it. You know, it's like, it's like being in war together. You know, it's, it's tough. It's a hard industry. It's, it's hard to be successful. But, but, and there's a lot of conflict because it's high stress. But once you get through it, you have a relationship that's solid. And you have a, a group of people that really, really know how to be successful and have each other's back when it comes down to it. That's what I wanted to ask you. When, it, when you look at the makeup of your team and you look at potential leaders 
to come in, essentially take the future of your particular business, but going from where you're at to where you'd like to be and analyzing it from a, a critical number or counterbalance standpoint and having measurables that you, you know, that you need to hit and KPIs that you're holding folks accountable to. How do you personalize it whenever there's that real human emotion of conflict, but in the business sense, because you're still in corporate, you have, you know, you have HR that you have to be cognizant of, but how do you balance the two? And we'll, we'll kind of wrap it at that. I think balancing the different personalities and the different the, the, the different struggles that we have is tough because you do get emotional, especially when you have a lot of passion about your business. I've got a lot of passion and, and I have a lot of uh, weight that I put behind my own ideas and so do our other executives. And a lot of times what you need to realize is sometimes the relationship is more important than getting your way and being able to talk with each other and say, look, let's try it your way. If it doesn't work, give me the option to try it the other way, right? And being able to collaborate. That relationship is really critical because I've made that mistake multiple times where I have pushed my, you know, my brain, my intelligence, my strategy on others, and it doesn't work. Sometimes you have to just, it's a lot of give and take, and it's making sure that you're, you're functioning together and doing it well. And I think when you do that well, you have a lot more success, both with your peers and with your employees. I know I myself have had to go through that experience painfully a few times before, and you can witness other folks going through the, the painful process of transformation, understanding that the corporate goal and the corporate objective needs to be accomplished. In the Marine Corps, we call it uh, the mission, and then second comes troop welfare, right? It came, it's counterintuitive to the way that the corporate world would approach, would approach a, an issue, but it really holds true. The mission is let's maintain profitability, let's do it in an optimal way, and let's optimize the work environment to allow other folks to be as successful as possible. That doesn't come without conflict. That doesn't come without stepping on uh, some landmines along the way, right? You, you can get your nose bloodied. And in fact, we encourage it here at Knucklehead. We talk about sharing some of the success uh, through failure. And then in what you're talking about in your instance, the $100,000 personal loss led to you helping to transform a company. Uh, and maybe I'm speaking out of turn. And for those of you who are listening, Bill, John, and, you know, and Paul, don't help me mischaracterize Rusty's story here, but he's helped a company go from, you know, where it was to where it is now. And that's a leader in the call center software space, just because of the capabilities and the robust functionality that you bring to the table in conjunction with the makeup of your team. So how can people get in touch with you, Rusty? So people can connect with me on LinkedIn. So I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. You look for me and send me a message. I'm pretty responsive in there. And you can contact us at Nice and Contact um, on our website and connect with us and talk to us if you want to talk about software. But I also do a quarterly leadership training that I do. And I actually invite people outside the company to be able to join. So if anybody wants to join that, happy to do that as well. Very good. And you use a framework that we're both familiar with uh, in your leadership training that's oriented towards Jocko's discipline equals freedom. Absolutely. So extreme ownership, that book is, is, is a core fundamental principle to how we view leadership and how we execute philosophically at Nice and Contact. Very cool. For those of you who are, who are not familiar, uh, what Rusty is talking about is a leadership training that you could be a take part of make sure that you get in touch with them. He just shows you exactly how to get in touch with them. And I think for those of you who are listening, who are still in your current roles and you're looking to build an uh, enterprise, you're looking to build a company, uh, I challenge you to take Rusty's perspective. There are so many stories about Rusty that just don't get highlighted and talked about, uh, which is why our aim and our goal is to bring those stories to the surface so they can actually uh, get circulated, so they can get distributed and folks can understand that 
inside of every American company, inside of businesses that are out there in, the, in today's world, it's not as if this pandemic is just closing doors. It is for a lot of folks, but it's also opening up opportunities for folks like Rusty. And I think that that's the American dream. Exactly what he went through was he responded with the same grit and gumption that founded this, this country and a lot of the companies that are out there just kicking tail and taking names. So I appreciate him, his courage uh, and his, uh, and his uh, willingness to share his story. So anything else that you want to leave these folks with, Rusty? No, it's just that when you put the time in and you put the work in, you can win. I mean, we went from a $30 million company and got sold for a billion dollars. And our, our portion's over $600 million now. I mean, you can win. You can succeed when you push, when you push and you put the effort in. It's awesome. Very cool. Well, for those of you who like listening to Knucklehead, uh, Rusty, we appreciate you. We appreciate your time today. We've got new episodes coming every Tuesday. We strive to bring stories uh, like these to you every single week and a lesson for you. Failure leads to success, right? So it's a matter of taking the time to analyze what went wrong when things do, because they will. And when they do go wrong, what do you do about it? What frameworks and processes can you put into place to mitigate against that risk going forward and go out and take yours? That's what we strive to do here at Knucklehead. So, Rusty, we appreciate you taking the time. Have a good rest of the day, guys. See you.